Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now up to, to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by a Cy Young Award winner and a five-time World Series champion. Currently, a broadcast with the New York Yankees, the Yes Network, and he's also a member of that Sunday night broadcast crew. Ladies and gentlemen, David Cohn. David, thanks for coming on the program. My pleasure, Brad. How's it going? It's going good. It's going good. It was good catching up with you a few days ago. Uh, for those of you listening to the Boone Podcast, I ran into David. I went up to see uh, my brother. Uh, rare time that I get to see him. He was in, in town playing the Angels, and, and I got to catch up with David. And, and uh, I'm excited having you on today. All right. I want to talk the state of pitching in the game today as, as opposed to our time or, or your time. David and I kind of overlapped uh, times. I got the second half of his career. Uh, it was the first half of my career. I, I, we didn't face each other much, though. We were always in the other league. But uh, his, I, I remember 99, his, his Yankees whooped my brave, so I, I wasn't happy about that. Um, the state of pitching. I want to break it down from a pitcher's perspective, your perspective, which you do nightly. And I, I really enjoy listening to you guys. That's my favorite crew in the game. It's Paulie O'Neill, uh, yourself, and and uh, Michael Kay. It really is because in a day where as ex-players, and I know you've done this, you want to turn the volume down when we're watching a game. Uh, when you guys come on, I, re- I truly do enjoy your your uh, breakdowns. I just think that it's a good mix, and, and, and I enjoy it. Um, how good is the pitching today? I know velocity's up. That's the layman that everybody likes to talk about. But your overall view of pitching in 2023? Well, I, I, I think in terms of, of volume, Brad, I think they're developing a lot of uh, reliever types, maximum effort, uh, one or two inning type of pitchers. There's a lot more of those type of guys out there. And the velocity training guys are throwing weighted balls now. They're they're really chasing velocity and maximum effort. So those type of pitchers are 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 certainly enormous. There's a lot more of those types around in the game. Whereas there was you know in our time there was sort of a big fall off between the starting rotation and middle relief. And then you had some closers who were studs, maybe like Mariano Rivera or Rob Dibble or maybe the Nasty Boys with Cincinnati back in the day. But now you you see middle relievers throwing 95 plus. Their maximum effort as hard as they can, maybe just trying to hit the top of the zone. I think the the craftsmanship is kind of maybe a little bit lost. Those starting pitchers that could go three times through the order that would throw 115, 120 pitches. So, you know, that's kind of a thing of the past nowadays. There's there's a lot of guys that, that go as hard as they can, as long as they can, and then they're looking for help from the bullpen. And there's a lot of those guys out there. Yeah, it is quite different. And, and even probably the very beginning of your uh, career, David, it was – it was almost like you were a starting pitcher, and if you were in the bullpen, that was like that was a big demotion. Like the, the bullpen is for the guys that can't cut it as starters. And as you mentioned, today's climate, it, it's different. Guys are groomed to be relief guys. Like you said, one inning, max effort. Just come in and fire where you, they, they almost start. The big arm start in the minor leagues to be relievers. I know the top pitchers when I was in the minor leagues, they were always starters always. And then, you know, things, things parse out throughout their, their career. And now maybe you're better suited as a bullpen guy, but all the top talent and all the guys that 
became bullpen guys, they were all starters at one point, not necessarily the case anymore. It's so true, you know, and, and I think there's kind of a, a perfect storm where, where the entire game is chasing power, both on the hitting side and the pitching side. Everybody's, yeah. everybody's into power, right? And then that's impacted the game. And I think also an, another underrated facet, and I know you probably realize this too in our era, the strike zone has changed in my mind. The little white box you see in front of home plate for every broadcast has changed things. Uh, you, you know, my strike zone and your strike zone was more east and west. And if you threw a ball thigh high off the plate, you got a little margin there. Some umpires more than others, but certainly the, it was more of an east-west strike zone. And now it's more of a north-south. I put it, I sort of use like the iPhone equation. The, if you hold the iPhone straight up, that's the strike zone today. Our strike zone yep. was the other way. It was kind of more of an east and west strike zone. So the fact that they're calling higher strikes and higher curveballs, if you look at the top line of the box on television, on every broadcast, those high curveballs were never called in our era. We used to say, if you threw a ball right down the middle at the mask, the catcher caught the ball at the mask, that was a ball automatically back in the 90s and even late 80s. Nowadays, that's a strike, you know, without a doubt. And I think that's impacted swing and miss. When you have hitters chasing power, swinging maybe try to try to launch and get the ball in the air more with a higher strike zone and higher velocity from pitchers, that's why you see the strike zone, uh, the strike rate, strikeout rate rather, so high in the major leagues right now. David, I think that's a great point. And I think as hitters in our day, we, we'd come to the plate and we knew the umpires. They, they, they had reputations. We knew the, the pitcher's umps and we knew the hitter's umps. And all we asked as hitters is establish your strike zone first time through the lineup and stick with that strike zone and we'll live with it. Um, and the great ones did that. You know, uh, there, there's always going to be the best in a, in a profession, in a field, and, and the worst. And then there was a bunch of guys in the middle. We knew who the good guys were and the bad guys were. The good guys, they really established that strike zone. And maybe it wasn't to my liking. Maybe it was a ball off the plate and, and low in the strike zone. But at least I knew with two strikes in a big situation, hey, he's calling that pitch. I got to protect here. So that's, that's all I can. It's still the, still the human element. And you can be as good as you could be, but – you know, to the fans that sit there and have that luxury uh, of watching that little white box and can be an expert. Try getting back there in the heat of the the battle with 50,000 fans and make the perfect call every time. I almost feel bad for the umpires today because of the technology and how heavily they are scrutinized. Another thing you mentioned was that high curveball. You as a pitcher, I know, you throw that high curveball, it's got that late break, and you get it called a strike, you're laughing like, wow, I got away with that one. Because you know that's not a strike. To the hitter, if I'm up in the box, a curveball, get it from my point of view, it's way out of the strike zone. I don't care if it drops in at the last second. So the little factors like that, it's tough to to equate them. And whether they go to, to this electronic strike zone eventually, which it seems like it's trending in that direction, uh, the one thing the hitters are going to get is they're kind of going to know what a strike is and what a strike isn't. I personally, from a purist standpoint, don't like that part of it, but it is what it is. We're going that direction. It seems like baseball's going that direction. Um, as you watch these games on a daily basis, you, there, there's always a cat and mouse with, with the hitter and the pitcher. And this is where I really like talking the game. Um, as a pitcher, do you read body language? If Brett Boone comes to the plate, David Cohen, I'm going to be sitting on your slider and I'm going to sit on it all day. I'm going to sit that hole at bat. I'm selling out. And if you throw two heaters down the middle, I'm going to tip my cap. Now I'm going to battle you with two strikes. Did you used to look for stuff like 
Why did he take that pitch? How's his body? He didn't take that pitch right. He's looking for something else. Was that something David Cohn was thinking about when you were on the mound? Absolutely. Especially as, as I became more experienced, the latter part of my career with the Yankees, I really threw every pitch and immediately looked for feedback. There's feedback on every pitch, mm-hmm. not only uh, from the hitter, but the umpire as well. I mean, there's all sorts of information that happened with every single pitch and not only that, but where was I trying to aim that pitch and where did it go? So I mean, there's all sorts of feedback in terms of my mechanics. Where am I off? How do I make a quick adjustment on the fly? What did the hitter do? How did he react? How did the umpire react? Did he flinch? Did he want to call that a strike? Did he call it a strike and then kind of second guess himself? You could read a lot, you know, from, from all of those sources uh, immediately. And the more experienced you are, the quicker you can sort of manufacture that or, or process that and make quicker adjustments on the fly. And I think that's the biggest difference between young pitchers and veteran pitchers is the ability to, to stay away from big innings and make those adjustments on the fly a lot quicker based on all that information and that feedback that you can get. And I think you're right. And it's the difference between elite pitchers and just run-of-the-mill pitchers. I talk to young hitters, and they ask about an approach, a mental approach. And I learned this as my career went on. But I think a, a, a lot about I said, my job as a hitter is to eliminate a pitch from a pitcher. If I can get one pitch out of your repertoire, I've done my job. It makes my, my job much easier. <clears throat> and I said, let me give you an example. Your first at bat, you take a fastball well-located away, and you – get a base hit to right field just a clean single two outs didn't hurt the pitcher but the pitcher's out there and believe me because i know you guys well enough you're going man that's a good pitch i made and he just treated it like it was nothing now for the average pitcher in the big legs i'm not talking about the veteran successful elite pitcher i just eliminated fastball away i'll guarantee you nine times out of ten he's going to bust me in or he's going to try to trick me that's playing right into my hands now starting to play that game. I got a David, I got a veteran David Cone just because I did that. Doesn't mean he's eliminating fastball away. You know who used to do it to me is Boomer. David Wells. I'd hit a ball 9 miles off David Wells and he'd come back next at bat and he'd throw me a four-seam pass fastball right down the middle. I'd take it cuz I'm looking for <laughs> something else. He'd laugh at me. And I'd be like, David, what are you doing? You don't throw that pitch. He'd do it again. I'm 0-2. He's laughing, and I'm going, okay, that's that's the great part of, of the matchup that I don't hear enough about that I love talking. It's that between and, – and you mentioned it, not only the umpire. Who's catching today? What's he most likely to put down? Did he read that I'm sitting on breaking ball? Jason Veritek used to do it to me all the time. He'd say – I come up, bases loaded. I'm looking for a breaking ball. I don't think you're going to throw me a heater. Heater down the middle, I take it. Veritek kind of take his mask off, go, guess we're not looking for a fastball, Booney. Oh, no. <laughs> throw out my plan. Everything changes. How much did did you really engage in that? I mean, talk about how, how, how big that is in the game, that cat and mouse. Oh, it is huge. I mean, you, you, there, there's so many different layers to it as you peel it back and take a look under the hood. You know, am I tipping my pitches? Is there something telegraphically I'm doing? Do I slow down a little bit my body on a, on an off-speed pitch? And, you know, I, I was always paranoid about that sort of a thing. You know, does he know what's coming? Does he have something on me? Uh, and then secondarily, how's he taking the pitches? Is he setting me up? You know, Manny Ramirez was, you know, everybody talks about Manny being Manny. Manny was a pretty smart hitter. He would set me up. He would swing bad at a couple of my early sliders, like just wave out of it, make me think, you know, oh, wow, I, he can't hit my slide. He's not picking it up. 
And then later in the game, he'd be sitting on slider and he'd launch one on me. I'd, I'd end up leaving one up eventually. He was sitting on slider the whole time. He took a couple bad swings at sliders just to set me up early in the at-bat. And I actually confirmed this with him when I became a teammate of his in Boston later in my career. And he would just smile. And that was Manny being Manny. But Manny was a smart hitter. And that's a different level when you have hitters that, that think through at-bats, even maybe will give up an at-bat to try to set you up for later in the game. And uh, certainly, you know, that, that that's different level stuff. But I, I know you were that type of hitter, Brett, in terms of, you know, looking for pitches, eliminating pitches, how you took pitches. A take can tell you a lot about a hitter. Whether he's out on his front foot, did he start to bring his hands a little bit forward? Did he recognize the pitch or is he sitting on something and uh, not even offering at it? So, yeah, that's that's a big part of reading the body language is how hitters take pitches. I think you're right on on the Manny Ramirez thing. Manny Ramirez, he, he was one of the f- few guys that the second half of my career I based it on. I watched him. He was a genius in the batter's box because, like you said, he would set you up for later in the game. And he was, he would, he was unwavering with his, the, the discipline to stay with it. And I remember talking, and I know Jeff Nelson was a teammate of yours for a lot of years, teammate of mine in Seattle. And I used to tell Nelly and Arthur Rhodes, I'd say, listen, I know you think you got Manny. You're watching from the bullpen. Do not throw this pitch in this situation. I'm telling you, when it's close in the eighth inning, He's going to be sitting on your neck. I said, do not fall for what how he looked early in the game. Don't do it. This guy's the best. He's the best at having a plan, executing a plan. He never wavered. That's why you'd see him, you know, go back to home, uh, go back to the dugout with an 0-2 pitch. He'd take it down the middle and start laughing and walk back to the dugout. And and I'd say, don't don't be fooled by it. Don't be fooled by it. But I, I think when you brought him up, that he's always my go-to. I said, it's Manny Ramirez. That's who I used to watch and that's how i the second half of my career i kind of patterned myself after him um <clears throat> on the yes on the yes network and i listen all the time you'll you'll bust out fan graphs how how has sabermetrics changed the game well i, I you know certainly you know people sort of say you know you want to lump analytics or sabermetrics all under one umbrella and there's completely different subsets of each now you know, fan graphs, you know, it's just the accumulation of what happens on the field. A lot of times it's, uh, you know, how many, how many pitches did you throw out of the strike zone? How many pitches did they swing at it? The outside the zone rate. I mean, there's just a, a lot of information, much more than, than we had. You know, I, I used to keep the chart starting as a starting pitcher the day before you keep the chart on the bench and it was just rudimentary, you know, it was just basic stuff, you know, maybe location, but type of pitch, did he swing or not, did he hit a ground ball or fly ball, that's it. That's all the information we had. Now you've got every bit of information of every pitch thrown in the game. You can use that to your advantage, but it's just accumulated information. Now, if we're getting into theory on whether you should bunt anymore, then the, you know, the, the sacrifice bunt, is that uh, something that should be a part of the game anymore? And then Now you're getting into theory. And then when you get into analytics on the high-speed cameras evaluating the spin, of, of a slider, that's another different subset. You know, that's something I would have been really interested in, the spin on my slider, you know, the efficiency, the access. Let me study the spin. How can I improve it? Let me tweak my grip. Let me get instant feedback. I would have loved that kind of information, throwing on the side, developing pitches. Pitch design is a whole different subset of analytics. Now, if you want to d- discuss baseball theory, that's a different thing. The stolen base, uh, the bunt, the, the style of play, um, 
the difference between a high baseball average and a high on base percentage, you know, okay, that, that's a, that's a different thing we can discuss all day long about the theory of baseball, but the actual use of high speed cameras and, and the, and the actual use from the hitter side too. Now uh, there's, there's high speed pitching machines now that, that can uh, sort of, uh, you know, give you the exact release point and the exact spin of, of any pitcher in the big leagues now. So if you, if you're facing, Pedro Martinez, there's a pitching machine out there now that's based in Canada uh, that, that can show you exactly how, pay, you know, the, the speed, the break the, uh, that Pedro Martinez had in his day. And uh, that's how you can prepare now on high-speed pitching machines. So some of the technology I'm, I'm awed by and, and some of the theories, I think, uh, you know, I still think there, there's room for debate and to be able to question the style of play. What's more entertaining? You know, is it more entertaining to have a shift where ground balls are hit right at infielders as years passed, or do you want a lack of a shift where infielders have to die if you've got more action? So sometimes being uber efficient with analytics is less entertaining. So that's kind of where the rubber meets the road, right? Have we made the game less entertaining by trying to be so uber efficient with taking the starting pitcher out two times through the order or doing an opener pitcher strategy or the lack of a bunt or the lack of action on the field? Uh, you know, that that's certainly a big debate. I'm, I'm willing to debate that all day long, but I think you have to educate yourself on those parts of the game in order to push back. You can't just be one of those ex-players that says, you know, get off my lawn, you know, analytics is ruining the game. Well, which part? Wait a minute, let's talk about this. Yeah, and th there's a debate that be had there, but wait a minute, you know, uh, how much do you really understand about what you're poo-pooing, you know, what, what you're discarding completely? And you really have to understand it, educate yourself in order to push back and say, hey, wait a minute. This is what they're trying to do here. Here's what the analysts are saying. Starting pitchers can't go three times through the order. Well, wait a minute. You know, let's give him a chance. Let's, okay, why can't he? Let's develop a way to, to, to help starting pitchers get their three times through the order. What are they doing wrong? What do we have to do to improve that area rather than just to sort of mandate, hey, every time this starting pitcher gets the third time through the order, we got to bring in a reliever. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. That's so true. And, and uh, I'm getting to a point, too. A, a few years ago, I, I was kind of that older player. Like, what's this analytics stuff? But now I, I've, I've kind of bought into it, and I'm thinking, wait a minute. As a player, I was one of those <clears throat> info freaks. Give me everything you can give me. I'll decipher it. I'll use what I'll use. I'll discard what I discard. But I, I do. The, the ex-player, when he just comes and, oh, our game was better, this is don't yeah, I can hear that all day. Tell me what you would do to make it better. I think in today's I, I would be a kid in a candy store with all this data. Just give me just pour it into my room the night before I face the Yankees in a four-game set. Give me everything you got. I'll sit there and I want to watch every relief pitcher, what he's done the last week, last time I faced him. We used to have, and and David, you remember this before a game, usually if you were lucky. You'd get the, the starter that was pitching that night be playing on a loop in the clubhouse and maybe his last start, maybe. And that's all we had, you know, and then I've got to kind of go back into the memory bank, see if I can find any, any 
film on the last time I faced him individually, formulate a plan for that day. And that's how we go. Uh, I had Trevor Bauer on the, on the pro who's an analytical. That's, that's all he does his whole life. But he, but he told me this and it was interesting. He said, Booney, too much information in the, in the wrong hands can also be a detriment. And I thought that was really interesting. I, I look at young hitters, uh, <clears throat> in the minor leagues prospects and all these different measuring points they have for them. I think that can be overwhelming to a young player. As a young player, we just want to prove that we belong, that we can be a big league player. And you've got constantly, what was my exit velo? What was this and that? Sometimes that doesn't matter. It's it's good A-Bs. And we get caught up in, oh, my exit velo is in here, so I'm not going to go to double A out of A-ball. When, when you're getting out of that, man, it's just you got to have good at-bats and learn this game and learn how to be a big league player, not worry about how hard you're hitting it. And I don't know. I, I just see sometimes you talk about the power game now on the offensive side. Everybody's not born a power hitter. I don't care what you do. Walt Weiss and Omar Vizquel aren't going to be 25 home run guys, but they played huge roles in, in on, on their teams for, for decades. So I worry a little bit about that. But at the same time, uh, the data for me, it's unbelievable. I think it's positive if used correctly. Absolutely. I mean, you think about it, Brett, before a game, you'd have your own iPad and you're facing me. You'd have every career at bat against me and you could see it in two seconds almost. I mean, your your preparation work, you get so much more information so much quicker and more efficiently that would help you prepare. Not only that. You you would have an iPad on. Okay, here's your here's your career at bats against against me, and also here's similar hitters to you against him as well. So here's how he got out similar right-handed hitters to you across the league over the last six months. You could look through about a hundred at bats in fifteen minutes, maybe 10, 10 minutes, and have all that just processed visually on an iPad in your locker, and you'd you'd be, you'd be off into getting your pregame meal or doing whatever your pregame routine was. You'd get your information so much quicker and so much more efficiently. It would just help you prepare. You could have as much as you wanted. Like you said, some guys can handle information. Some guys can't. you got to know which ones they are. And the ones who need it, like you, if you want more information, here it is. But it's delivered to you in such such a quicker, more efficient way that you can have as much as you want. Uh, you can say, hey, wait a minute, this guy got out, uh, you know, this is how he pitched Manny Ramirez. This is how he pitched Brett Boone. This is how he pitched Robin Yount. This is how he went after Paul Molitor. You could have all those at-bats and see him and, and say, okay, this is a tendency. On 2-0, he's going to drop a slider in there. He's not going to throw. In fastball counts, he's going to pitch backwards to these guys. Or these, these are the times he will give in and throw his fastball and fastball counts. You could have that information right now and, and just process it so much quicker and be – some, you know, like you said, we had to go digging for information back in the day. Yeah. We had we had to really dig, and we were you were limited. And you, you know, even if you were you were lucky if you trusted your advanced scouts because those were all written reports, you know, and those were high and tight, low and away. Old scouts, you know, high and tight, low and away. You know, I mean, it was there. There was a classic kind of typical uh, way that those those old time scouts wrote their their written advanced scouting reports on on teams they had just seen. So. You know, they became a little redundant, you know, and then some for guys like you, it probably wasn't enough and you needed more and wanted more. And today you could get a lot more. And not only that, you could get certainly the tendencies of the pitcher, but you could also get the tendencies of the catcher, what the catcher calls too. Mm -hmm. And then obviously the umpire, the tendencies of the umpires too, you know, down to a T. So, uh, yeah, all that information is there for you. I think it's, it's fantastic. Um, 
I would have loved to have that information too on hitters. You know, as a starting pitcher, you got plenty of time to to prepare before a game or even three or four days. So yeah, I could look at all those at bats I had against you. I, you might not remember. You know, how many times did I face Brett Boone in my career? Okay, I've got 17 at bats or 25 at bats. I could see them all right now, quickly yeah. within five minutes, and and visually see that. That's just a tremendous advantage for today's players. I, I, I used to go a step deeper and Ed, Edgar Martinez, he's, he, he hit behind me most of the time uh, later in my career. I'd have a meeting with him meeting before the meeting. I'd say, all right, now, Edgar, <clears throat> we got Coney tonight. What's your history? What's your history with David? Well, ah, you know, I haven't done much off him or, Hey, I really hit Coney. Well, now I'm just saying that that's a hypothetical that formulates my evening because now I know if I come up in a situation and David Cohn, uh, let's say Edgar's got a lot of hits off you. Well, I'm think Coney's thinking, well, he's going to go after Booney because he doesn't want to deal with Edgar because Edgar's had a lot of success. That formulates my plan as a hitter going, okay, I got to be ready now. He might be a little more aggressive with me. Now, if the, if the scenario is reversed <clears throat> and I've hit David Cohn really well, well, he might pitch around me a little bit here because he's had some success with the guy on on deck i mean i think i i used to go that far and so that would even help me more now because we'd have that data for him i'd be watching his tapes against the tonight's starting pitcher i i think it's fascinating i could talk about this all day yeah, um, it, it's true it's so true you know and diversity is a big deal too i mean you know that the, we seem to be cloning pitchers and cloning hitters in terms of stylistically speaking and the toughest lineups i faced were the ones that were more diverse Lefty, righty, a guy that was more of a contact-oriented hitter, a right-handed hitter that was more pop-oriented, that was trying to take me deep. If I had to bounce back and forth with stylistically, uh, that gave me more trouble up and down a lineup, as opposed to a, you know, give me a Conseco, McGuire, and a bunch of right-handed hitters that are all thump-oriented. I'm going to get in a groove and get my slider going. I'm going to like facing those guys a lot more than I would the bounce back and forth. You know, it, it, you know, different styles of hitter, especially platoon wise, lefty, righty, lefty, righty. I think we've kind of lost the value of diversity in, in pitching staffs, too. I, I'm pitching for the Mets back in the 80s. Posing hitters told me all the time the, the toughest part was it was a different look every night. It was Dwight Gooden one night. Then it was Ron Darling with a splitter the next night. Then it was Sid Fernandez with his funky left handed style. Then it was me. Then it was Bobby Oida throwing change ups from the left handed side. So. It was a soft lefty. It was a hard righty. You know, it was it was just back and forth every other night, and uh, that gave hitters trouble too. You couldn't get in a groove because you had to you had to face so many different looks and different styles. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating, and and I I know what you're saying. You get in that groove against those power right-handed hitters. Power can strike them out. You got one way to do it, but if you're ping ponging back and forth with he's a contact guy. He's a guy that will give you a good at bat. It's it's a completely different mindset on how you go after them. Um, The rules. I know they're kind of old now. It's been uh, almost three quarters of a year, but uh, I, for one, was a little, I I was, I was a skeptic when I heard him come out and I said, you know, as a baseball player, I always, we kind of pride ourselves on being the only major sport uh, without a pitch clock, (laughs) without a clock in general. So I, but I had an open mind. I said, let's see how it goes. I think it's been great. I hate to, <laughs> I hate to admit I was wrong and a skeptic. I think it's been great. Uh, I think fans love it. I think the players are even loving it. 
on being on the media side now, if I've got to watch a ball game, I know it's going to be about two hours and 35 minutes and I can fast forward a lot, a lot quicker. Uh, and I didn't think it, that was going to be the result I had. I, I, I just thought of all the negative stuff like, well, wait a minute. If I've got a pitcher who's, who's laboring in the past, I've been able to come in as a second baseman and, and give you a breather as a pitcher. Uh, what's going to happen if we can't do that? Well, we've all kind of worked it out. You know, the hitters have worked it out. They get in the box. It's, it's not that big of a deal. And I think all it, all it did was, I, I think that the reason that they implemented it was not to change the rules was just to get us back in the groove of what it was like 50 years ago. Hey, let's just move it along a little bit. I hated that you could only throw over twice. I thought, all the great base stealers, that's going to be so easy for them to steal second base now. No, the point was to encourage stealing bases again, to get more action in the game. I think it's done everything uh, they set out to do. Now, the only the only caveat I'll give you is I don't like the eight-second engagement rule as a hitter because I have no counterpoint to your point. As a pitcher, you can play games with me. You can hold, it, hold the ball on me. In the past, I've been able to call timeout and move along. I can't call timeout anymore. So other than that, I think there's going to be a little tweaks to all facets of the new rules, but I think all in all, it's been great. Your take. No, no, you're dead on. Uh, as a hitter, if you've got, you know, you really have to, you have to be aware of the clock without a doubt. Uh, the pitcher's aware. Um, it's, there's a little, obviously there was a little bit of an adjustment period, but if you've got a, a runner on first base, who's a base stealer and you're the hitter in the box, you don't want to get in the box too quickly. Because then you you give the pitcher more seconds to hold the ball and freeze the runner at first. So we're starting to see hitters now that kind of straddle one foot out of the box and wait for the clock to get down to 12, 11, 10 seconds, and then step in so that by the time the pitcher comes set, you got eight seconds left. And that's much less than to be able to, to use to freeze the hitter or the runner. Now, we've seen hitters get in there at the 16-second mark with a runner on first, and I've seen pitchers hold the ball for 10 seconds. And you're right. The hitter's already burned his timeout. You got one timeout per per sequence, and there's nothing you can do. You got to stand there, and the, the the runner gets frozen, and he's trying to steal second. So the the cat and mouse game is is, is still being worked out. The mound visits you get five per game. Those should be zero at the end of every game. To your point, if you're a second baseman and you see a trouble spot, you should be able to burn a mound visit right there. We've got four left. It's the seventh inning. You know. You should be able to do that. I think that people are still learning how to use that. It's like, oh, I got a mound visit here. Let's go burn a mound visit. You know, it, 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 it's something that, that that shouldn't be left on the scoreboard. Every game should have zero mound visits left for, for exactly what you're talking about. Don't let the game get away from you. If you read something, something's happening. You're aware of everything. You're aware of the clock. You're aware of how many mound visits are left. You're aware of the situation. The, the heady players – the players that are high concentration that, that anticipate the flow of the game are the ones that are thriving right now that are that are ahead of the curve in terms of using all these little subtleties to 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 kind of slow the game down when you need to when especially in key parts of the game so yes more action um, less dead time part of the problem was is that there's so many more relievers used in games nowadays and they're all power guys and they're all maximum effort guys they took longer to deliver a pitch how many times have you seen a reliever that throws 100 miles an hour or 98 miles an hour throw a pitch and walk around the mound, you know, and take his time between every pitch? And, and to me, that that's the biggest difference here is that uh, there's less dead time. Get on the mound, deliver your pitch. If you're a maximum effort guy, you know, maybe you need to get in better condition. Maybe some of these guys, uh, you know, are having a hard time keeping up. 
because they're used to kind of their own little routines and brooding around the mound. Uh, you know, that, that's a thing of the past now. So, and rightly so. I mean, who wanted to watch that all that dead time? You know, reliever throw a pitch, ball one, and then walk around the mound. Yeah, that, that was something that, uh, to me, I, I don't think anybody misses that. Or even a hitter. You didn't even swing the bat. You took a pitch and you step out of the box and you got to do your gloves and you got your routine and you got to, you know, you know, whatever your routine was. You didn't even swing the bat. Get back in the box. Let's go. All that dead time from pitchers and hitters, you know, is something that we're not missing at all. Do you think from a pitcher's perspective over the long haul, 162 games, uh, it's going to wear on certain pitchers and definitely be a detriment, something going forward they're going to have to incorporate into their offseason preparation? Or do you think it, it's really not that big of a deal as far as the swiftness that they have to be willing to work? You know, I've talked to a lot of managers and pitching coaches uh, across the league this year, and they're still gathering information. There is some theories that some of the guys are suffering, especially some of the older pitchers that were used to their routines. Um, maybe the conditioning, they need to account for that in conditioning in terms of it's become more uh, more of a cardiovascular effort, right? We used to say that baseball's an you know, it's not an aerobic sport. It's an anaerobic sport. It's quick burst and then a dead time and you can rest. There's a little less of that now. It's becoming more aerobic, I guess, uh, to a certain extent for, for, for some pitchers. So, yeah, maybe they got to get out and run some poles again, maybe a little more cardio, you know, maybe get, control their heart rate a little bit better because they don't have as much downtime between pitches to kind of control their heart. So, yeah, a little bit of that. But I think that, you know, we're a little over halfway through the first year of the rules changes. It certainly seems to favor younger, more athletic players. That's for sure. Both hitters, runners, and pitchers. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company. 